was a lion in the tall grass. Wish I had a pilot and a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can haul ass and travel with portable speakers playing bars scans. Wish I had a million dollars. Wish I had a million albums. Wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian. Late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish the help is like, it's like. I wish, I wish, that every time we love and it feels just like this. I wish, I wish, that every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish, that every time we love and it feels just like this. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of The Debrief. I am your host, Brianna Joy Gray, and I feel obligated, as always, to point out that the name of this podcast is a pun. I feel like I will be doing this until the day I die. My tombstone will say Brianna Joy Gray, co-host of The Debrief. Get it? It's got Brie in it. Brie, in the middle of the word debrief. <laughs> I see there's already a cue. Uh, lots of interest in this last episode. I was very happy to see because, you know, per what Jordan Cherryton pointed out, it can be very difficult to get people interested in, engaged by kind of, basic news stories about bad things happening in the world. I know it can seem overwhelming. I don't mean that in a judgmental way. I too like to check out and watch Sex in the City and 90 Day Fiance and Married at First Sight, all of which I am happy to talk to you about today in addition to more pressing matters. Um, but I was really gratified to see how much interest there was in Jordan's coverage of what's going on in Flint, and additionally, the broader conversation we had about the state of media broadly and left media in particular, for those of you who missed that commentary, I figured I would do what I haven't done in a couple episodes, which is to play a short clip of that. So let me play a clip from the conversation about uh, Flint to start us off, and then I will start taking questions. Oops. I have to figure out first how to work the computer um, sorry, let me just quickly change my system preferences. Let me take a question while I'm figuring that out. Uh, Max, unmute yourself and let me know what's on your mind. Hey, Brianna. Um, can you hear me? I can. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. What's on your mind? Uh, yeah, so I had a question about, um, about, well, it's kind of about, the, the Jordan Sheraton interview and the uh, Kashama Swant, Chris Hedges one as well. Because mm-hmm. um, it seems like a lot of the debate, at least on the internet left or whatever you want to call it, um, lately has been between like sort of the Jimmy Dore, Jackson Hinkle, Fred Hampton leftist types where they believe that the Democratic Party is not reformable and that the only approach is a third party approach combined with a labor organization. Um, and then you have like people like Kyle Kalinske and Crystal Ball who advocate Ooh, taking Max, over the you Democratic just cut Party. Out. Oh, there you um, go. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, and then you have people like um, Crystal Ball 
and uh, Kyle Kalinske, who advocate for uh, taking over the Democratic Party from the inside. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I personally used to be uh, more on the crystal ball side, Kyle Kalinske side, but lately I've been listening to the Chris Hedges and the Kashama Swans points more, and I'm kind of torn as to what is the best approach. And but But the thing that got me thinking was, on the Jordan Sheridan podcast, you guys were talking about um, about kind of getting all the left media people, even the ones that disagree, to kind of come together under a unified space, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so do you think that the best – what is your opinion on the best approach to kind of tackling left-wing goals and pushing um, progressive policies forward? Um, and do you think that – I think someone on here last time said something about why don't we run a left candidate, a populist candidate – in the GOP as well. Mm-hmm. And that also got me thinking like maybe the best approach is not like only do third party and labor organization or only do democratic party takeover, but to kind of do all of them at once. Like imagine if in 2024, there was a, there was a, a, a populist in the GOP running a populist left person running in the democratic party. And we had a couple third party candidates on top of labor, labor organization. Like, um, do you think that's feasible? And do you think that that's a good, way to kind of pursue these goals well feasible what's feasible um we're going to have an episode with third party representatives coming up soon where they talk really specifically about what the limitations are in terms of ballot access and fundraising and other issues uh but one of the reasons why i find it very difficult to ignore uh andrew yang is because i think he's approaching this very seriously and structurally in a way that gives me confidence that it might work. And that might be my own PMC bias that like, <laughs> he's a business guy. He's going to cross the I's and dot the T's, but there is something about the neutrality of his platform. Um, it's not fair that greens are stigmatized the way they are, but it is what it is. Um, that I think has the possibility of providing a basis for some ideologically diverse folks to come in under the general principle of taking no corporate money um, and, starting a national, a national alternative party. Right. Uh, I don't think that it's accurate the way you necessarily characterize crystal ball and Kyle Kalinske in that prong. I don't think they're opposed to a third party candidate. I think Kyle has done a bunch of videos recently where he's very open to the idea of a Marianne Williamson run. And she obviously on bad faith and elsewhere has articulated some, you know, openness to running as a third party. And she went on Andrew Yang's podcast on Monday as well and talked about that. So uh, that's neither here nor there, but I think that most everybody is of the mind right now that we have to, you know, in the spirit of solidarity, let me quote, um, say that I agree with Sam Cedar here and say, it's good to let a thousand flowers bloom. And that would be advantageous uh, for us. Um, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. All right. I, I wasn't necessarily saying that um, Kyle and Crystal are opposed to a third party, but it seems like even though everyone kind of says, um, well, I, I would say that uh, maybe like the Jimmy Dore, Jackson Hinkle uh, people are pretty like uh, openly opposed to reforming the Democratic Party at all. But mm-hmm. I, I, I feel that the people that um, are, aren't opposed to it completely are a bit open to third party approaches too, but it seems like the, even though they say that rhetorically, uh, when it comes down to discussing like third party approaches and things like that, 
there's always like kind of a conflict where it seems like the conversation can't really move past like the disagreement. And well, it's, it, there's a there's a there's an attitude that many people have that it's going to be hard, and therefore we want to spend a hundred percent of our bandwidth talking about how hard it's going to be, and that's fine. That's a little bit where I got stuck with Shama and Chris, who you characterize as being open to third parties, but I would argue, you know, I mean, they, of course they are, but at the end of the day there's an election this year and what are we going to do about it? Are we going to do anything? <laughs> and so then we get into yeah. that loop and it's like, I just, I am, I just cannot, I cannot anymore talk about things being hard. All I want to do is talk about people who are members of third party organizations who are working to get battle access about how we, what we can do to support them. Like who cares if it's hard, everything's hard, organizing's hard, but no one sits around <laughs> saying we shouldn't organize because it's hard because there's barriers to doing this because we've had, you know, conservative um, labor boards that we've had to contend with who don't uphold the rights of, 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 of um, union um, members and all of this other kind of things. And there's, there's a capture of union leadership and all of this kind of stuff. Like that never becomes a conversation against why unionizing is a, or, or labor organization is important. And I don't think, Oh gosh, I, I just truly cannot have another conversation about how well, we've never had a third party in America. Well, thanks. No shit, Sherlock, like on to the next, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but thank you for calling in Max. I've got our, um, I've got, sorry. We've, there's a long queue and I want to get it. I got oh, sorry, my, sorry. I'm sorry. No, no, nothing, nothing. Yeah, thank you for thank you for having me, Brianna. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, of course. Thank you for calling in. I'm going to go ahead and uh, queue up this clip that I've now figured out, and then we'll take the rest of these calls. I can't stay on uh, all night tonight, guys. You know, it's a Friday, so I'm trying to get through this queue list a little bit faster so we don't have to be here for three hours. Um, but I appreciate you all, and I want to get to you all. So here's a, a quick just to, uh, clip to orient us to the conversation we were having uh, with Jordan Sheridan about some of these I was going to play the Flint clip, but it sounds like people want to talk about the uh, communications aspects. So I'm going to play that one instead. Here we go. Uh, oh, 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 sorry. Here we go. There was a time, again, long before a lot of these feuds, that, you know, TYT was that umbrella organization. It, it was huge. It was sprawling. Everyone was a part of it. And I'm curious from your perspective, why doesn't it seem to be serving the same purpose that it, it apparently used to serve? Uh, I don't want to go viral, but I'll just be honest. <laughs> um, you know, listen, I, I appreciate the opportunity that Jenk gave me, but I will. Sorry, sorry. That's my bad. That's my bad. That's my bad. I will say hey, there was kind of always a, a conflict there in terms of you want to call it a network, but you don't really want to elevate anybody but yourself. Mm. Uh, so, you know, TYT at this point probably could have been a billion dollar business if they would have just given Jimmy Dore a daily show, mm -hmm. right? Jank didn't want to do that. Uh, frankly, I had to pull teeth to get my on the ground reporting featured on the main show at TYT. I'm not saying this to attack them. It's just, this is what happened. So um, TYT, you know, there was this, uh, this idea of making a network, but at the end of the day, if the, if the force behind it, which at the time was Jank, is basically just wants to hear his own voice and be on camera a lot, that's not you're not going to elevate because you're not going to create a network and it's not going to thrive with like only one face. You need to elevate a lot of different faces. The other thing also is, you know, TYT, they were obviously uh, the first originally in the game of this. They didn't have a lot of competition for many years on independent leftist media, but they started uh, with me doing on the ground reporting, which people loved, but then they kind of stopped doing that. Mm -hmm. So to me, 
their, their failure or Jenks' failure to really elevate new faces, new voices to really push them uh, so that it wouldn't just be like, you know, Jank and, you know, a band of other people. It's unfortunate because I think TYT, obviously, they kind of shifted a little bit politically, too. But as well, to what do you attribute that? Because I've heard, you know, people make their accusations and I try to stay out of those, you know, so and so has bad motives fights. But as someone who used to work there, do you have any thoughts about what caused there to be a political shift? Yeah, You know, I think that. I don't think I know a lot of people want to ascribe it to, you know, the 20 million dollars they got this mm. and that. I think that's the easy storyline. I don't want to say that had nothing to do with it, because obviously when you get 20 million dollars from a major Democratic Party donor, that's not going to have zero effect, even if they don't technically have editorial control. I'll give an example here. And I've never said this publicly. So you're getting it. Scoop. I was I was on the ground uh, in 2016 uh, covering Tim Canova's race for Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the time, other than Hillary Clinton, Debbie Wasserman Schultz was like the most hated, mm-hmm. uh, you know, neoliberal resistance, you know, figure, whatever. So I interviewed Canova and he gave me like a pretty big scoop. I mean, he basically said, yeah, I can't get Bernie Sanders to return my phone calls. Politico picked it up. Every, all like the Washington media picked it up. Uh, I, I believe CNN did too. Mm. I called Jank. I said, you know, hey, we're getting this clip to you. Like, you know, do you want me to come on the show? This and that basically told me like, yeah, I don't think we're going to be able to get it on the show. And I said, what do you mean you're not going to get it on the show? Like, why am I even here? Like the literally the biggest down ballot race at the time, Tim Canova first Debbie Wasserman Schultz, he basically just said, I can't get Bernie to, to return my calls a week before the election. That's like news in any world. Yeah. And he kind of gave me this birds and the bees speech. Like, <laughs> well, there's the progressive. No, he said this. There's the progressive audience and then there's the general audience. So and the general audience doesn't know who Tim Canova is. Well, so, that's your job. <laughs> so, that's part of your job as a journalist. So I said to him. I, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have the analytics. I'm telling you, your audience is progressive. They don't know who Tim Canova is, maybe. Because, well, first of all, they do. But to your general audience, uh, they might not know who he is because you haven't covered it. Right. They do know who Debbie Wasserman Schultz is. That I can right. tell you. And generally, it's a smart thing if you're investing a lot of money to send a reporter around the country right. to highlight when they break news. Yes, you're an asset. Besides which, to your point, the general audience, the politicos and the hills and the whatnot were covering it. Right. Which demonstrates interest. So to me, that was the bigger issue rather than the money. There yeah. seemed to be a disconnect. And again, I I, I do appreciate the opportunity Jank yeah. and them gave me. But there seemed to be a real disconnect with the grassroots. All right. I'm going to take the next caller. Todd, what did you think of this episode, either the media criticism or the Flint stuff or anything else that's on your mind? Unmute yourself and and let the questions fly. Todd? Hi there. Can you hear me? Yeah. Tell me what's on your mind. Well, uh, just in response to the media clip that you played, um, it's certainly frustrating how how nimble and how easily um, systems of capitalism can co-opt and commodify even it, the resistance against it, even when there's trying to 
when there's efforts made to try to fight against it, it seems like a virus to be able to, um, yeah, swarm and, and, and utilize and, um, yeah, adapt that resistance um, against the very thing that uh, that's fighting against against capitalism. So that's that's what's on my mind in regards to the uh, the clip that you just played. Um, mm. But I had a, a couple of thoughts, Bree. And first off, just thank you so much for providing this space, pro- providing this resource for um, you know that kind of focus on what the left really needs to organize, to push forward its, uh, its agendas. I just really appreciate that. Thank you. No, of course. Well, thank you all for being a part of it because otherwise I would be slowly pulling my hair out in an insane asylum. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, um, I know that you've harped on before how the left needs, uh, there's certain things that the left really requires in order to advance that agenda, having its own media, arm having like a central planning um some form of that um and one thing that just always pops up in my mind is uh also some kind of way to address the spirituality or the spiritual vacuum in um in the country and i know that um one frustration that we have um that we share is a way to raise class consciousness that it's so important that, um, you know, as people on the left, we unify and unite and realize our class needs, our class struggles. And so what are the different ways that we can approach raising that kind of class consciousness? And I was really heartened by um, your uh, discussions and interviews around the debt collective and around Mm. student debt. And I just thought it it would be so um, invigorating to really see that debt collective take off for class consciousness to be raised among all of these people with uh, student debt to realize that if we all band together, then we have a lot more leverage. You know, it's like when you look at history and the revolutions that have occurred through history, there's um, always this dynamic between the oppressor and the people that are being oppressed. And there's a tipping point when um, the oppressed realize that they're just so great and immense in number that all Mm -hmm. of the leverage is actually on their end. Mm -hmm. And so I think that if we really had class consciousness among things like uh, student debt that's being held by just millions and millions of Americans, Mm -hmm. if we realize that that's not necessarily a weight or a burden that's leverage that we can then uh use and um yeah use use to our advantage um if we just make that visible enough so that was kind of my thought on uh raising class consciousness and um one one thing i i just wanted to suggest or get your thoughts on is what kind of a uh, slogan that you would um, suggest or maybe endorse um, something like all war is class war. You know, I understand that um, that's not to say anything about belittling or um, demeaning the other struggles around sexism, around racism, uh, around all of those other areas. Um, but class war is uh, an intersection where we can actually do something about all of those other areas of oppression. Um, and yeah, just was just kind of wondering your thoughts about that. Well, you know, I, I don't know that I have a lot of confidence in 
uh, slogans in a one-size-fits-all sort of way. You know, I just finished doing some two interviews today, which is why I'm a little bit low energy. <laughs> just came off at 3.15 and a 5 o'clock uh, for Monday's episode um, where I spoke to two people who have both challenged people, uh, Democratic uh, con- Congress members who we very much don't like, (laughs) who are very much the problem. And um, what I asked them both, because they are both in red states uh, and very poor districts, very poor parts of the country, uh, very different parts of the country. But I asked them, you know, what is your pitch when you're going to door, door to door? You know, how do you contend with the popularity of an incumbent? Or if there is now frustration with the incumbent, you know, what do you broach the conversation with? You know, do you come in blazing, right. like presuming that Medicare for all is everybody's priority and that they know what that means? You know, and I kept trying to get them to say, well, what policy do you lead with? And, um, you know, one person, former candidate, just was like, you, you just can't come in presuming you know anything. And I'm so local and they trust me and they know me. But I just start with the question of what it is that you want. And I think that Bernie had the advantage of being around, having those conversations and being trusted because he was in the Congress for 40 years. And as much as Medicare for all was a slogan, it's still a slogan that um, relies on the popularity of a longstanding preexisting program that is already popular. And I, I think that I can't think of an example of anybody's slogan, whether it's build back better or stronger together or. I mean, maybe yes, we can kind of work because <laughs> it's, I don't know, but I just don't think, I mean, it's not the slogan. And I think that, you know, as much as you and I might think class war sounds like a good thing, a lot of Americans do not. And in fact, the idea that, you know, conservatives of both parties get on the TV every single day and say, oh, my God, Bernie's trying to do a class war. And it's 100 percent a negative thing to people. It's just divisiveness. Oh, gosh, we're just being so divisive. Um, so I'm not sure what the answer is. I don't I'm not sure if there was a rallying cry. To, to get behind, but if, if there is one, I think it has to be based in, in humanism and not kind of a political abstraction. Um, or what, I'm not saying it is a political abstraction, uh, abstraction class war, but it is to people. It is to many people. Um, and I would like to hear, it to some that sloganeering happens, I would like to hear slogans that have to do a lot more with a sense of community and taking care of each other and obligation to fellow man. Because I think that is a universalist thread that is very hard to argue against or weaponize. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, um, thank you so much for, uh, for taking my call and uh, I'll hop out of the queue and um, much love to everybody out there on the left. Thank you, Todd. Keep the faith. All right. Um, doctor, welcome back. Unmute yourself and let me know what's on your mind. Hey, um, can you hear me? I can. What's on your mind? Good evening, Brianna. Um, so I have two questions, um, both of which I wrote like four columns ago, but, you know, we have a lot of people signing up to uh, uh, converse with you, but they're still relevant to the conversation. Um, I'm glad you made it through. Um, so I guess I'll start with the um the second question is more relevant to the conversations at hand. Um, uh, I mean, I remember sending a message regarding, like, you know, 
uh, hopefully you can spearhead, you know, uniting leftists, um, um, leftist voices. But I mean, I don't particularly understand. At least I, I, I don't think you need to thrust everything upon yourself because you usually make a comment about you can't do everything yourself or you don't have a strategy. And I'm wondering with the network of uh, friends and colleagues you have, like Cristobal, Cal Kalinsky, uh, Jimmy Dore, uh, revolutionary black networks. Like what is taking you, what is impeding you from all coming together and using your um, um, individual local networks to help build the infrastructure to plan something or strategize for 2024? That's because that's a, I mean, that's a full-time job. Someone has to do that job. Yeah. You know, I wake up, (laughs) I wake up, I consume the day's news. I uh, send a bunch of emails out to try to see if I can schedule upcoming interviews and starting at um, three o'clock today, I've been, on the microphone and will be on the microphone from three to probably, you know, eight o'clock tonight. And, you know, I don't have, you know, no one is producing, no one's consuming segments and, and giving things to me, you know, someone has to do that stuff and and crystal and people that like who have more, you know, established, um, outlets and have producer teams and makeup and hair and, and that stuff. That's great, but even they are so much under-resourced compared to like a Fox News or a CNN. And I just don't think it's yeah. realistic to sit here and say, you know, if I'm doing that, if I'm doing the full-time job of trying to invent a news organization, I'm not doing the podcast that I survive on, you know? And so no. it, it part so of it is it's, it's difficult to scale up. Yeah. So as I was saying, like, I guess, uh, long, long question. Um, like, you don't have to do everything yourself. We've seen 2016, 2020, that there, there are people who are willing to donate to a cause, um, you know, if they think it benefits them. I mean, Bernie broke records both, uh, both in 2016 and 2020. If you have, if your collective network, TRT network, uh, breaking points, Jimmy Dora, whoever else, including yours, have a large progressive network or left network. Maybe they'll be willing to fund, help fund a project um, to, you know, build our infrastructure and help organize and strategize for 2024. Um, now, yeah, I, I, I mean, I st- I'm still ignoring how much effort that would take, but. The point is that you don't have to, I don't think anyone has put one thing upon themselves. If we can, if we have um, uh, people that are willing to donate, um, if they're, you know, call them to action, and then you start um, uh, hiring people to to do these things, maybe it's possible. I think it is, is that, possible. Is that so I think it is possible, and I hope that, I hope that somebody does it. I, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I quit being a lawyer in part because I'm really bad at administrative tasks. I'm going to be really honest with you. I am not good at that. So I really hope someone does it and hires me. But I don't see myself. I can barely pay my taxes. Okay? <laughs> like, I am not good at that. So I, I'm just trying to be really honest with you. If everyone's sitting around waiting for me, I'm not going to ask people to give me money to do a thing that I know that I'm not good at. But someone who has some experience in that. Um, and who so is then how already do you built? Suppose the, 
how do you suppose the a conversation that you and Jordan were having about building a network uh, will be achieved? I mean, not, I'm not saying that I'm like, it's gonna, right it, yeah, it's going to be someone who has more experience us getting together and deciding we would be a part of something. And then someone who has the resources and bandwidth to start hiring someone to put together one, the fundraising organization that would have to happen and to actually have a plan for what would be done with that money. So we're not just making demands of people the way, you know, you heard Jordan criticize TYT for raising money to hire on the ground reporters and then on the ground reporters never manifested. There've been all kinds of scandals in the media world like that, where people have been accused of being grifters because things didn't manifest. And I don't know if things didn't manifest because people were acting in bad faith or because it was just harder than they thought it was going to be. And they hadn't thought it out to begin with. But yeah, we, we got to get into a room and figure it out. And then someone has to fundraise and have an actual plan for that money before we ask for a cent from anybody. I, I, like I, I don't know if it's especially surprising to anybody that I, Brianna Joy Gray, a 36-year-old until, who until four years ago's only training was to be an attorney, does not know how to start a media organization. <laughs> yeah, like I'm really yeah. just trying to be transparent here. Like I, I do not know – I see what Crystal has been able to build in going to her studio, and I see that she has producers, and I think that she learned a lot from being part of a rising infrastructure and also, you know, the MSNBC infrastructure and, like, having a model for how these things work. And, you know, I think that there's a lot of power that comes – I mean, they've done incredibly well in terms of Patreon and have the bandwidth to be able to hire people and know that they can sustain their incomes and not be – conscripting people into something that's only going to last a couple of months or whatever. Um, And that's very impressive. And I have a hard time imagining how I could get to that point, much less, you know, individually. And I know you're saying it's not individual, but how to build something even bigger than that. And so that's why I'm encouraged that we're going to start to have these conversations more broadly across left media and figure out what, what is to be done. But I'm afraid I just don't have many answers for you as an individual sitting here today. Okay, thank you. I'll, I'll forego my second question. Sure. Um, you have a nice day. I'm sorry? I said you have a nice night. Oh, I thought you said you were going to say your second question. Oh, no. Uh, all right. You're short on time. I didn't want to be um, um, taking up all your time. Well, I appreciate that. You're a very generous doctor, especially since you've been waiting for a couple of episodes to get through. Um, I wish I could give you <laughs> I wish I could give you better news, but I, you know, I just... I. We're we're gonna we're gonna try, but I haven't had any conversations with anybody since we did that interview with Jordan on Wednesday. So I'll let you guys know when I hear anything new. Okay. All right. Thank you. Have a good night, uh, Jonathan. Unmute yourself and let me know what's on your mind. Hi, Bree. Happy Friday. Um, I see the queue behind me is quite long, so I'll try to be brief. I wanted to quickly touch on um, the part of the episode about uh, greater independent media cohesion, sort of like mm-hmm. the last caller. Um, I think uh, looking back at last month when uh, you, Crystal Ball, Marion Williamson, and Katie Halper co-hosted that panel to bring attention to Steve Donziger's case, I thought that was really awesome and a mm. super valuable exercise. And I'm sure a lot of your fan base would agree. And I'm wondering if there's any possibility whatsoever for that being a semi-regular thing, like not necessarily in person, because I know you're all very busy people, but maybe just like a remote stream every couple weeks or once or twice a month, like how Katie runs her show. Um, I don't know what it would be called, like just to 
bring attention to any like direct action or like mutual aid efforts that you think are worthwhile or maybe even local elections or other conversations around electoral politics. The the name that I proposed in the super chat on Katie's show was Ladies of the Left. I don't know if you think that has a nice ring to it or not, but <laughs> just wondering if there's any possibility of that at some point. Yeah, so a couple of weeks after the Donziger stream, they did another one for Julian Assange. I wasn't able to be there because I had to go to a funeral in Cleveland. But there is an upcoming one planned, uh, I believe, for um, progressive down-ballot candidates that's coming up. Um, that one's spearheaded by Marianne Williamson. So I think it's going to be somewhat recurring. The question is if it's so regular that it gets a name and a title and kind of independent branding instead of, that's just kind of doing this ad hoc on the breaking point set. And again, I'm just so appreciative that Crystal is willing to extend those resources, you know, which are unique among us all uh, to give a platform to those kinds of events. I think it would be amazing. I mean, one of the early goals of this podcast was to get a studio space. I mean, this was, you know, at the end of 2020, this podcast started and there was not, there was a feeling that COVID was, not going to last forever, I guess. And, you know, there was the presumption that the studio space could be gotten and the guests could all be interviewed in person. And you remember that, um, you know, the, vi- the you know viral Kamala interview with Charlamagne the God where he's sitting on that big, like, space station stage and she's on a screen. Like, even if we couldn't get people in person that in COVID we could do some kind of fun setup like that that felt, like, legit. And I would still like that to happen. But, you know, I, the... I don't, I don't, I know how to say this without sounding like I'm complaining because I'm, I'm, I don't mean to complain. I, I'm fine, but the, the, the growth, kind of linear upward growth of the podcast that would have enabled a lot of money to be spent on a studio space just doesn't exist. And, you know, it's a flat, it flatlined and declined. So I just, I don't even think about that anymore because it takes a lot of money to do something like that. And, Again, I'm not comfortable saying, you know, subscribe to my Patreon and I'm going to be able to do this when I don't know that I'm going to be able to do that because of COVID and a host of other factors. So, you know, I put a certain amount of money into the, just leave it in the bank account, hoping hoping that one day we'll be able to use it for something more permanent like that. But, I mean, I don't know, you know? For sure, yeah. Yeah, just uh... – just wanted to bring it up in case the guy can dream, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I also dream. Look, I appreciate I appreciate that, Jonathan, and I, I know I said a little doom and gloom today. I guess I'm a little bit tired. I've got to figure out how to tweak the schedule. Maybe it makes more sense to do these the day of the podcast drop because it does, it does start to feel like, you know, I can't do it so earlier in the day because everybody's at work. And if I do it late in the evening – it feels, you know, it's like a Friday night and I'm a little distracted. So I'm going to work that out. That's a me problem, not a you problem. But I appreciate you calling in, Jonathan. <laughs> of course. My pleasure. Thank you, Bree. All right. John, you're up next. Unmute yourself and let me know what's on your mind. The unmute is the microphone in the bottom right-hand corner. Hello. There you go. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Sorry about that. Um, I've been trying to call in for the last few episodes and I'm always late. So I do think actually that it would be awesome if you did these 
on the Monday and the Thursday because I always feel like I have so many things that I want to ask you. Then by the next day, because I have a really busy schedule, I'm kind of like, oh, shoot, what did I what? I couldn't really remember. So anyway, that's just me kind of co-signing that idea. Okay, but um, yeah, but I did want to just mention Jordan. I do feel like he does have the right idea there with with wanting to um, kind of everyone put minds together and grow but i do see where that's going to be really difficult and um it'll take a lot of resources and i like how you put it in the term of it being a full-time job for someone to handle that because it just sometimes people will think something's really easy to do because it seems simple but on background it's crazy um but so i i do think that yeah so that's one thing that i wanted to mention about jordan and then i also feel like on the left with the uh especially in left media spaces in the online left i feel like everyone is always fighting with each other. And I, and I think that there's always sort of these litmus tests about, you know, TYT taking that $20 million. But I feel like at some point we're, we're going to have to kind of get over that type of stuff. And I don't mean, to, you know, take like Chevron money or something like that, but, but in a sense, we need capital in order to build these types of media structures that people are talking about. But um, mm-hmm. I do sometimes, I love seeing Jordan on, your podcast and other shows as well, because I do see him out there working really hard. I've actually met him in the yeah. field, but um, I just wanted to kind of bring that up. And I, and I think that the left does need to uh, um, just kind of contend with the fact that we need money, frankly. it's Yeah. <laughs> and to professionalize, like, I know that's such a dirty word, but you guys like, so I have been, um, you know, I do these Wednesday hits on the Hill I, they want me to do a guest host next week. So Monday, Tuesday, I'll be guest hosting, which, you know, I'm a little nervous about, but I'm going to give it a whirl because I think there's a lot of really important things to learn about that format and how this kind of stuff works. Like it's like recon for me, you know, and working with the Hill, what is obvious to me is that there's many producers that Mm -hmm. email me, that send me links, that can clip bits of the episode for me to distribute, that, you know, when I used to go in in person during the campaign, there's like a team of lovely guys behind a booth with mics that get me mic'd up. There's a a woman who did hair and makeup. Like, there's an infrastructure. And the Hill is not some big, you know, it's not MSNBC. But when you go there, it's a, you know, it's just like one, like half a floor on a building and some nondescript office in D.C. But it... There are many, many people who work there working full-time jobs and who are up at 5 o'clock in the morning in the office producing segments so all of that can happen. Many, many, many people being paid many, many salaries who have production experience on other shows. Oh, I completely agree. And and that's kind of my point. I feel like it kind of goes back to the episode that you did with um, Professor Wolf and Hedges about – um, Hassan Piker making money. It's it's mm-hmm. it's at some and that kind of really stuck with me because I I kind of feel like the left wants so many things. The left has so many aspirations for media, for policy, all the stuff. But it's you have to be able to uh, produce products. And I and I think that one of Jordan's um, from Status Quo, one of his issues, and and at times I understand it's money, of course. But but sometimes I do feel like just a little bit more professional. Like you said, I don't think that's a dirty word. I think that mm-hmm. people just need to get over that. But, um, but I just, I find that it's, we're never going to really get anywhere if, if people are so, you know, Hassan Piker should be able to make money at this point, like just get over it. We're not going to get anywhere. So that's kind of um, a, a big point of money. Then, then to the third party thing really quickly and the democratic mm-hmm. party, every time that I hear people asking about, third parties or, or kind of saying that, that that's the only way. Um, I kind of feel like 
they're sort of missing the boat. I think we need to do all of it. Like if right. Andrew Yang's out there doing his thing, he's creating the third party. Perhaps Marianne will run on that ticket, but mm-hmm. I don't think she will. I think I think that I think that she likely will run under the, under the Democratic Party, which is fine. I, she's I I believe in like in the candidate, right? I'm not going to put my weight behind someone who's who I don't believe in, and I think that wherever they run, it doesn't matter to me, whether it be Republican Party, Democratic Party, Green, just basic independent. I think that mm-hmm. people will be mad at Marianne for for running in the Democratic Party. People will be mad at you for co-hosting on the Hill because, mm-hmm. it's a, you know, it's, it's a corporation. <laughs> and I and, I, and I, I just think it's silly. And, I, and I, I love seeing the lefties on any show. Like Nina Turner was on MSNBC t- or... Um, Mehdi Hassan's show on Peacock. Mm-hmm. She was on there, and it's it's. We need m- more leftists on TV. We need more leftists on radio everywhere. So I, I just think that people need to get over the whole thing. If if you want to get anywhere, we will eventually need money. Then that's yeah. what I want to say. And also a certain amount of rigor. Like I think the magic behind you know Crystal and Sagar on Rising. Whatever you think, I know some people think, oh, it's like a fascist pipeline. Okay, whatever. Like the but the the reason that show became so popular. And remember, like. They were only there two years. That show didn't really exist. It it it, it, it created the million um, subscriber following that it got mm-hmm. during the course of the Democratic primary in 2019. Like For it didn't sure. exist, and they basically like boomed out of nowhere because no one was doing that. And I think that really why so many people were attracted to it wasn't just the content, although the content is important, and they need all the credit in the world for that, but the look. Like there's so few outlets on the left that look like a real news show and have the banner on the bottom and someone mm-hmm. sitting behind a desk and professional lighting and a screen behind you and reading off a teleprompter and like production quality because it makes people feel like it's real news and it's authentic. And someone like my you know, aunts or grandmothers or whatever are less inclined to – like look at a YouTube show and a YouTube clip and trust like they don't know who Sam Cedar is. They don't know who Jordan Sheridan is. They don't know. They, if I weren't related to him. They wouldn't know who I was. And we just look like random schmoes in our yeah. living rooms. I mean, some of them like obviously like Jordan has a, a more professional setup and like Kyle has a more professional setup. But like even the, the you know, I have, a, I have a nice I have an expensive camera, but I'm still sitting in my studio apartment with like yeah. remains of my lunch in front of me. <laughs> yeah, but you're, but but your I feel, I feel like your setup is very it's very appropriate for your for your podcast and your setting. I I I think that you I don't know we can go into a whole other conversation about that stuff. But but I do agree. I think that the the left needs a little bit more polish. I think yeah. I think yeah Jordan Jordan has a studio, um, and it's great. I but I think that there are some tweaks that need to happen, and I I agree. Like when your podcast. Uh, um, originally launched i loved seeing the uh the photographs like the art behind the your your campaign of you know you're 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 putting out the podcast so that was really impressive to me to see oh someone like mm-hmm. people on the left crystal and sagar i mean i i love that show I, i'm a subscriber i watch it every day well every day that they mm-hmm. launch but i I, mm-hmm. I just think that you have to you're right and people need to um, stop being so you know, or, or people should stop ignoring the fact that those things are really important. Because like you said, my mom's not going to turn on a YouTube show unless I send it to her. And I right. think that, and I think that that's one thing that TYT has too. And I, I look mm-hmm. at them more as, more as like a gateway lefty kind of show or, or network. So I, I just think that all the things that you're saying about that, um, you know, professionalism, I, I think it's really important and I, we should see more of it. Yeah, Jimmy Dore too. I want to give him credit because yeah. he looks yeah. his show looks 
professional and he right. obviously has like producers like to, to do a, to do segments like he does mm-hmm. where he one is like able to be a comedian and like funny on the fly but he has all of the clips come up on the screen behind him at the right time and the guests who can come in and out and somebody working those cameras for him so that he can seamlessly move between sound bites and screen grabs of articles and the guest right. and take breaks and have a music cue. Like that's, that's, a that's the whole thing. Job. Yeah. That's the whole job right there. I mean, that's, that's the producer's job. Yeah. That, that it's not easy to just hire people. I mean, we have right, to probably have more to than one up. producer. Cause someone, right. someone pulled those clips and someone mm-hmm. like, and he's got his wife. Like it, it's a, yeah. it's a lot of moving pieces. And I think that people just don't really appreciate, like I didn't really appreciate when I started this, how much work went into just doing a twice a week show, much less a daily show and much less a show that keeps Mm -hmm. up the news more like bad faith. You know, we're not like a newsy show. Like I I try Mm -hmm. to talk about what people are talking about in any given moment, but like I recorded today's episode for Monday, you know, I recorded today for Monday's episode and who knows what's going to happen between now and Monday, (laughs) but it won't be covered on the podcast. You know what I mean? I'm actually really glad. And this will be my last thing because I know there's a long queue. I'm sorry, but I'm actually really glad that your show is not, all news because i you know sometimes like as much as i am you know stay up with all the news sometimes i do get sick of it so i love Mm -hmm. that like all of your episodes are um and the call-ins too are great i always listen to them when i miss it um but i'm glad it's not always news just to say that but anyway thank you so much brie i appreciate it thank you john i'm glad you were able to get through this time thank you bye-bye bye-bye all right eric you're up next unmute yourself and let me know what's on your mind Hey, uh, so if you don't mind, I was going to change up a little bit. Um, okay. I'm a, I, I like, by trade, I'm a filmmaker. I do a lot of stuff for, like, gaffing in life, aspiring cinematographer. And I just want to know, what is, like, some shows or movies you've watched that you really liked? Ooh, generally speaking or, like, recently? Oh, recently. Okay. Okay. What have I watched that I liked recently from a movie perspective? Okay. So I, I, in my head, have all these movies that I think of as the, the COVID watch movies. And obviously, it's still COVID. But what I really mean is the movies that I watched during 2020. Gotcha. <laughs> Those are, like, in my head indelibly as, like, oh, these were COVID movies. Because I was also, like, unemployed for most of 2020. And all I did was watch movies and be sad. So I remember that the, the two of the best underrated movies of 2020 were, one, the Will Ferrell Eurovision movie. <laughs> <laughs> It was excellent. (laughs) It was so funny. Um, And then there was this like animated like Pixar movie uh, about a family. Wait, is it Pixar? Uh, And uh, the phone takes over. I'm going to tell you the name of this movie. I'm Googling it. Oh, the Mitchells versus the Machines. That is so good. It's so good, right? It's amazing. (laughs) I actually think it could, it could be, it could give Encanto a run for its money for the Oscar. Okay, so I was also going to bring up Encanto because I saw some of my friends on the one of my text threads that I'm on were hating on Encanto today. And I was like, don't even come at me with this shit. Like, I'm like, I cannot handle, no. I cannot fight this Encanto battle with you <laughs> on my phone today. I've got too much on my plate, but I'm not going to let this Encanto, you know, smearing stand. No, don't my let friend, it happen. Like, my friend was like, oh, I didn't even really mess with any of those songs, you know you know, we don't talk about Bruno was okay. I was like, okay. I don't even like Limber Up Manuel Miranda, Miranda, but I was fully bopping, bopping 
till we don't talk about Bruno. Like, yes. bopping for the rest of the day. Like, you know, it was like Lil Nas X came on my phone, and then, like, we don't talk about Bruno. And both of them were hitting. Hitting on the treadmill. Yes. <laughs> the music in that is amazing. I think some of his best work in, when it comes to musically. I thought it was great. Now, the, it yes. opened a little weird. I thought that opening song. So for people who haven't seen it, the opening song, it's, like, a, about a big family, and each family has, like, an ability so you can be easily disoriented about how they're all related to each other and the lineage is relevant to the plot. So the first song is like an explainer of who's who and what their talents are. And it feels like a little bit of a weird way to get into a plot because it's like rather didactic. It, it feels like when you're reading a hundred years of solitude uh, and it has that like um, uh, genealogy on the front of the book because they name like three generations of people, the same name in that freaking book. <laughs> which I found to be very irritating in high school or whatever when we were reading it. Mm -hmm. So it's like basically the table. It's like the, it's like the Gabriel Garcia Marquez table of contents for this family is the opening song. So I was a little skeptical when the movie started, but then I was in it. I was a hundred percent committed by like minute 15. If you want some recommendations for anything, I'm not sure how much you're into animated stuff, but there's a show on Netflix called Arcane, Arcane, which is Arcane. This is really good. It's, it's based off of a game called League of Legends, but you don't have to know anything about League of Legends. Okay, Nothing. I'm writing it down because I need I need content to to turn my brain off to. Okay, yeah, and I just recently watched the Ben Affleck and Matt Damon movie, the The Last Duel. Hmm. I have never Which, heard of that. Yeah, it's on HBO Max. It's really interesting, and especially has a very interesting perspective when it comes to because it takes place in like medieval times, and it deals with. Uh, three people, uh, Matt Damon's character who has a wife who eventually is raped by Adam Driver's character. And it deals Adam with the Driver's different... in it. Yeah, and it I deals with their different movie. Yeah, and it deals with the different perspectives. Mm-hmm. But it's a real interesting look at like you can even uh like rape culture and everything like that. So I really actually enjoyed that one. Okay. You you had me at well, here's the thing. I know that people hate on Ben Affleck, whatever, I get it. But him and, and... Um, first of all, Dogma, I love. Oh, Dogma is my favorite Kevin uh, Smith movie. That tracks, right? Because what else is going to be over Dogma? Nothing. Yeah. Kevin Smith. <laughs> and then secondly, I mean, I ha- I had to love Goodwill Hunting. Like, I know, blah, blah, blah. Harvard. It's, it's but like, Wood. it was great. <laughs> like, we really, we, we used to watch it freshman year and mm-hmm. like go, you know, the Heidi Like Them Apple scene. Yes. Um, That is no longer a bar. It was a Dunkin' Donuts by the time I started college, but we used to uh-huh. go to that like building and like fake do that. And it was, I just, <laughs> we loved that movie. We loved it so much. Uh, so I'm, I'm all in and I appreciate those recommendations. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate you changing so- it up a little bit. Did I lose you, Eric? Okay. All right. Uh, Let's see. Serene, you are up next. Unmute yourself and tell me what's on your mind. The unmute is a little mic in the bottom right-hand corner. Can you hear me? There you go. Hi. Hi. Um, <clears throat> so I've been listening to you since, like, Feel the Burn, so I really appreciate What you you do, and um, like everyone, since that happened, a lot has changed, Mm -hmm. and it kind of brought me to um, the Marianne episode the other day, which is, it's because, like, I cried listening to that episode, because Mm -hmm. just the way she speaks, and the part where she said, everyone has experienced a lot of pain in the Mm -hmm. last two years really hit me, because, 
you know, without going into it, I lived in New York for like 14 years and I had to move back to my parents' house in Houston uh, last year. And I don't know, just something about, I just want to echo what everyone has said so far about the left media thing, which is that it will take a lot of work. And I kind of just, I think that um, what you've kind of brought up so far seems to me like that there are people in the sphere that are more, you know, that have more resources, like TYT and Sam Cedar and everyone, and like, and there's uh, people who have less resources, but there's also like, I really feel like you, you know, there's a reason you are more, you go on more of these shows, you're invited on more of these shows, and Katie Halper is invited more, you know, there's just like, I just kind of see it from a, whatever, a bird's eye fan view that there's some of you that are just like nicer, you know, for lack of, <laughs> to put it simply, it's like, and, you know, I, I know it would, I've been wanting to have, I think many of us have been wanting to have like a left media Avengers kind of situation for a while now, because, you know, I follow everyone. I follow Revolutionary Blackout and everyone and like, it sucks to see, I mean, first of all, Twitter, it's just encourages insane behavior. So I get that. But like, it sucks to see people's tweets that are like substantive things they've done. And then the next tweet is like, this is how much Sam Cedar sucks and is a corporate sellout. And it's just like, <laughs> it's so incoherent and it just contributes to the noise, which, and I get it. Like, again, Twitter is explicitly designed to like bring out our worst impulses but i do kind of see i don't know just something about you and marianne talking i kind of like was like man brianna could be really good at however shape these like big meetings take you know i'm imagining like all the all the all the dealers having a summit on the wire or something where everyone like speaks their peats you know and i really kind of not i don't know how you feel about it but i kind of like i think you would be a good you're you're already a good like peacemaker of sorts. You know, like you take everyone's stuff at at good faith, you know, like I think the other day you were just like someone said something about Biden and you're like, "Well, let me just start with the best faith interpretation of his bullshit and and you know, go from there." And like I don't know. I just this this is so, sort of unformed thoughts, but I'm just saying like you are you're you're a personal you're like a warm personality and other people are like you know everyone everyone is rigorous and committed and all that stuff but like there's some people that just have more resources wow. and material stuff and well okay <laughs> yeah, not I, everyone i will say I, a, I i i am not always i i just feel like I don't want to take too much credit because I'm not always at my best. I tweet my little things and then delete them sometimes and I get irritated and edgy and I certainly in my personal life will be blowing up to whoever's sitting next to me as I read whatever tweet. And <laughs> like I'm human. I'm human. Right. But I do. I do. Um, I don't know, man. What's weird is that like when I first joined Twitter, I was anonymous and I used to actively just engage. I used to Google things that I knew I was going to be mad about or like try to pick fights with Republicans and, you know, like let me find out who's saying something wrong somewhere and I'm going to like argue with them. Yeah. And, you know, over time, 
you know, part of me, sometimes I feel like a little bit of a sociopath because it's just almost strategic. Like I have that pugilistic part of my personality, but it just strategically, it's like more high flies with honey. Like strategically, it doesn't make any sense for me to um, shit on everyone off as the one. Yeah. Like it's just like who has the energy to fight all those battles on all those different fronts. And I also want to say that, like, I know that some of the antagonism comes out of a people feeling vulnerable and like they're competing for crumbs in a limited left media space and yeah. it's easier for you know me to sit like I, we're very lean here you know it's just you know me and ben so even though our patreon isn't as big as some other people's it's like more than enough for both of us and you know it's been pretty steady so you know i it, i have the bandwidth i have like the you know i don't have to sit here and feel like i have to scrape for youtube viewers or whatever with somebody else because that's not how i earn my money i don't like youtube is not how i earn my money um so like i also just want to say like i appreciate you know it's like it's like me saying don't get stressed about you know how hot it is outside when i'm in a palace with air conditioning like i understand that there are some real pressures that people are under in the left community that provoke some of this behavior not that that's an excuse but it is what it is and so i would like to see i think one benefit of the left media organization would be that some of these folks that are like scraping and clawing uh, could have a place to land and just exactly. a little bit more support. I mean, I my dr- dream of dreams is just do a communism, you know? Yeah. Everyone has, whoever has the, the, mater- the resources that other people need, you know, and this kind of stuff sounds like it would be, like, a long time to hash out, of course. But there is, just by talking, just the way... You're talking now with like what you have and what other people have and like I just it just kind of seems that I don't know that I, I imagine a scenario where like the jinks and of the world you know according to Jordan it just kind of seems like he has a he has a lot of there's gonna be some like you know ego penetration or whatever breaking down that's gonna have to occur and you know, I'm not, not not to be like, let's let's you know, expropriate uh, TYT's money and spread it around to the community or anything like that. But you know, I, I think you give everyone a shot to come to the table. Some people are like, hey, we have no money, and that's what we need first and foremost. And other people are like, hey, people keep coming at us for being grifters or corporate grifters, and we're very much not that. And like, so I just. Yeah, this is my dream of dreams. Yeah, look, I will say also, and I, I this is a little bit of a scoop, although I'm not going to name names, but hopefully I'll be able to get them on the podcast soon to talk about it. But I got a really meaningful apology today from someone who I'd been on the outs with over the past year. And honestly, it just feels so much better than being enemies. <laughs> like, I, it was so lovely of them to reach out. And I was so happy to accept it. And I'm so looking forward to having a relationship with them again. I feel um, like I know what you're talking about. And, but, and yeah, I, when, when um, the people, you know, when Michael Brooks passed away, it was like, I, I don't know. He, 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 to me, also seemed like one of those people that just everyone loved and like kind of a conduit. And I don't know. Yeah. I just, I see that, that, that for me was like a little inflection point too, where afterwards I noticed like, oh, 
boy, people are really mad at each other now for some, you know, like he really. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny. Like, I don't know how much people say that and I, it feels right. I don't know how much I, you know, it's like weird to talk about, but I, it, it, that for me personally, my link to, um, kind of the Sam senior universe, the majority port universe, um, was through him. I didn't have any relationship with them except for that. Michael was the first person who had me on any of these shows. No, that's not, not true. The first person who had me on was district Sentinel asked me to a live show immediately after my first article about identity politics dropped in current affairs magazine in the spring of 2017. Subsequently, Michael Brooks asked me to come on his show and talk about it. And it was the fourth episode, I believe of his show. It was brand wow. new. And then I came on again, like the next month, to talk about an article I written about cultural appropriation. And he had me on basically at least once a month. Um, and I would come down after work to downtown Brooklyn and sit and do these shows. And it felt it meant a lot to me because I was nobody. Like I was an anonymous person who had just written a couple of articles who had never done media before. And he treated you so seriously. It took you so seriously in those interviews and really engaged with what you had written. And gave me a lot of confidence in the left media space. It introduced me to a lot of people and a lot of left voices that I otherwise would not have known. And I know that he's done that for a lot of other people. And I will say, in a, in a left universe that can, that can be very hermetically sealed and insular, now it's gotten better when we have, like, the Fred Hampton leftists and Savvy Sads and, like, a lot of other people. But at the time, it felt, you know, like, very white and male. And oh, the fact yeah. that he took me so seriously and had other I know that he brought Malika Jabali on um, you know he used to have Waz on I, I learned about uh, Trevor Bullio and Leslie Lee from his show you know I, I just he was a conduit and he was so generous with his time and his energy and it never felt competitive with him ever and there yeah. was no he used to do these call-ins too you know people used to call into the show and he was also just so generous and, and warm and light with his guests who would call in some of whom disagree with him but to have that sense of humor and your point about Katie too, I, I feel like Katie doesn't always get her just desserts because she is genuinely funny. <laughs> and yeah. what, what we deal with is so heavy, but I think she brings something really important and special to the left. Um, and yeah, the then so for the, Jimmy, Jimmy does also for what it's worth. I think that it's important to have that levity. Yeah. Well, the advantage we have is that we make cool shit on the left. Like it's so easy to, <laughs> dunk on right memes and right jokes and and that trickles down to right slash you know center right right meaning democrats msnbc everyone mm-hmm. they just it's like whack and there's just so much talent you know warmth talent uh intelligence rigor but also like artistic direction like the stuff you're just talking about like having a cool looking set and vibey studio like mm-hmm. i don't know if you've ever seen um julian casablancas from the strokes he's done he i don't know if he's still doing it but he has like this little youtube thing with rolling stone where he like talks to richard wolf and you know he's just he's a curious guy it looks like a crazy ass space station and they have like cool sound design in between like mm-hmm. and i also think you know in the the left media conglomerate future of our dreams like there's probably a lot of people that would love to apply for those kind of jobs where like 
you know, like I do audio yeah. and. Yeah, we just and, gotta and, pay him though. Exactly. <laughs> so many of you guys are so sweet, and you're like, oh, "Well, I'll volunteer my time," and I'm like, eh, "No, that doesn't like that's not right." right. That, <laughs> yeah, that that wouldn't be in, a, in alignment with our principles anyway. So right. So then, so like, look, now we're in this catch twenty two. So like, I hear you guys. I hear you guys saying that we need to figure out, and, I, and we will fundraise. I I think that we need to, but like, it needs to it needs to be well designed first. So that, that I, like, I don't ever want to be in a position where we've taken money from folks and it's not being put to good use. I agree. It should be completely gamed out. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, we're on it. We're on it. I, I really appreciate you. This is, is this your first time calling in, Serene? Yeah. I've been in the queue a few times, but I chickened out or I had to go. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate seeing you. I, I feel like I would have recognized um, your name in this fun logo. Uh, yeah. But thank you for calling in. Thank you. Have a good night. You too. All right, uh, Carol, you are next. Unmute yourself and let me know what's on your mind. Hello? Oh, hey, wow. Carol. <laughs> My voice. Hi, I'm sorry. I was just looking at the UX for this, and they have the, the, the hang-up button, like, right next to the unmute. It's really strange UX. Um, but mm-hmm. thank you for taking my call. Um, I will say that I would like to second who, uh, I think it was Eric, who recommended Arcane. I saw it, like, a, when it came out a month ago. It is beautifully, uh, it's it's just, like, beautifully animated. Uh, the storyline is very tight and very character-driven. Um, it's a little heavy, I will say mm. that in advance, but it is it is a really good show. It's a little bit of politics, a little bit of kind of action. Uh, it's a really good mix, and I would love, if you, if you say, if you actually go see it, uh, I would love to um, hear your thoughts on it what to do um okay maybe i'll get you know my pop culture go-tos are to get you know trevor leslie to come talk about it with me we did a live stream last night by the way on this app if people want to hear us acting out of pocket (laughs) for like two hours about all kinds of things last night somehow every conversation ends up being a dating conversation I don't know what that is, but it got a little light. <laughs> but um, sorry, I didn't mean to get us off track. What what else is on your mind, Carol? Um, so I uh I would preface this by saying that I am a software engineer, and mm. I've been coding for about professionally for about ten years. So um, I have actually been working on some tooling in this space, though it's not specifically related to leftist media. I'm more tackling disinformation and uh, kind of trying to help people bypass the algorithm um, Mm. and kind of in one fell swoop. Um, And basically the the bypassing of the algorithm piece has to do with putting the filters back in people's hands. Um, And so uh, I could explain that a little bit more at a later date, but, and then the disinformation He's fighting that is kind of like, you know, on Star Trek where they talk to the computer and they say, like, Captain Picard will say, hey, what are all the ships that this guy uh, served on before? Because I'm looking for somebody who is on uh, our crew who might know this captain. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so what I'm trying to do is basically say, hey, you see this article that I'm reading? Can you tell me where all the conflicts of interest might be and tell me like where these people are getting their money and how mm. this like like kind of create this web of information that's really easy for people to access. So that's basically what I'm working on. <laughs> <laughs>
She loves the Star Trek analogy. (laughs) And so this is less kind of a question for you and more of an invitation. I had sent you a message to to see if you would be willing. I know that you're having conversations with people all the time, but I would like, I I don't want to like bombard everybody with the whole idea of what I'm doing. But um, I will say if that doesn't happen, something that is worth considering is I know you guys are saying, okay, we want to do this left media thing. But if your goal is to actually uh, reach out to people who aren't inside that kind Mm -hmm. of media ecosystem already or who aren't already ideologically left, um, I think it's just going to be very important for you guys to think about ways to uh, break that bubble and invite people into it because obviously, you know, you've got a, a good core of people who are already interested, but mm-hmm. there's a lot more people that need to be persuaded. So yeah, again, if you're interested in learning a little bit more about what I'm working on, I did yeah, send can you, you a message. Can you, actually, I, I mentioned in knowing just now when you said putting the, um, you know, filters back in people's filters, hands, what does that mm-hmm. mean? Yeah. So basically like if you go to YouTube um, and you're waiting for them to really, um, recommend you stuff like you kind of I don't know if this happens to you like when I'm bored or whatever I'm like refreshing and refreshing and like I just don't feel like I'm able to say like okay I know what you're recommending me but I'm looking for more specifically like this I find that when I search the search results are very limited and then that my doctor sorry I just tried to go to YouTube and see what it showed me and then I started playing an ad my apologies (laughs) Um, but then of course like that assumes that the thing that you're looking for is specifically on YouTube. And we have so many different um, types of content coming from different places that, you know, it's not necessarily that you're always looking for a thing that's on YouTube either. Um, And so what I'm trying to do is allow people to do a more granular set of searches. So like maybe search by identity, search by uh, topic like the identity of the content creator as mm-hmm. opposed to what they're talking about um and i i'm i feel like i'm gonna be getting really abstract here without being able to actually show you how some of this works i've built a prototype so i would show it show that to you too um but um, i love to talk yeah. to someone with some technical <laughs> skills that knows how to yeah. do something that's cool <laughs> Yeah, I was. So, do you know yeah. what that guy on YouTube, FD Salinger, I think his name is. Uh, uh, he's a black guy. Sorry. Yeah, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name either, but he did a really great thing about BrightTube and how often it's mm-hmm. difficult for black creators to, uh, who are in the left space, to get kind of pick up basically what you were just talking about with the previous uh, caller mm-hmm. and saying like, oh, you know, we can't like in order for us to tap into a a kind of larger audience we have to first appeal to our white leftist colleagues but then of course our content starts to get swayed um in a direction that maybe doesn't appeal to you know other black people as much so Mm -hmm. you you, all you did was ask me if i knew this man's stuff but no no no, but that's a good (laughs) summary like i listened to that and that's what he said and he was pointing out that like it is interesting that if i'm looking for you know, black hair care videos, then I know I can find them by putting in words like 4C, 4B, right? Like Mm -hmm. hair type words that have no other application other than (laughs) hair type. If I, but that, that, that I think it's also created a world where there's all of this healthy community of like black hair care videos. Mm -hmm. I think probably precisely because that is something that's searchable without having to put in like black person talking about Bernie Sanders or whatever you (laughs) might be looking for, you know? Mm -hmm. 
And, and then of I course, there's the issue where oh, I was just gonna say that the issue is that like we're two black women talking to each other. So when you say four C, that has meaning to me. But mm-hmm. if you're not in the know and you're trying and you're like curious about black women's hair, hair, which mm-hmm. many people apparently are. Like, where do you go? How do you even start off? You're not going to start off looking for 4C because you didn't mm-hmm. even know that's a term, right? And so mm-hmm. a lot of what I'm trying to do is create create tooling that allows for people to maybe not search specifically 4C, but get a little bit closer to the kinds of creators that might be able to provide them with the information that they're actually looking for. Yeah, I'm like really excited to learn more about that. Um, if you... Leave a comment on this video and I'll follow you back and I'll pass on, you know, I don't like, guys, I'm really sorry. I don't check the bad faith email as much as I should. (laughs) Although let me tell you, I recently, (laughs) it was flagged for me that there was some content in there. Y'all, y'all, some of y'all write the weirdest, like, love letters. Like, I gotta say, (laughs) it's never just like, hi, my name is Tom. I, here's a picture of me. I live here and this is what I do that I think that we should hang out sometime. No, it's always like Lady Grey. <laughs> I hath pined for thou. <laughs> I'm like, guys, 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 Aww. guys. Just take it down to like a seven <laughs> from like the 15 that it's at right now. Um, but I'm going to start, that's all I'm going to check. I'm going to start checking email better. But like for things that come up in this chat, I think it's, it's helping me to compartmentalize and remember what I should follow up on. And it's not so overwhelming in here. So if you just like leave a comment on this, I will follow you back and then I'll pass on uh, an address so we can be in touch. Okay. And uh, this is a comment in the call-in app. Yeah. It lets lets you leave a comment on the episode. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. I'll do that then. Um, And yeah, I, I like there's, I have a, just a wealth of information because I'm in this space and actively fundraising. So there's there are actually progressive like uh, organizations who fund up and coming organizations. We'll talk about all that. But, yeah, I'll leave a comment and I'll look forward to your response. Thank you, Carol. I appreciate your call. No problem. Bye. Bye bye. All right, Jason, you are up next. Unmute yourself hey, and Bri. let me know what's on your mind. Hey. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing this fine Friday evening? I'm good. I just want to be the third person to say that Arcane's pretty good. I was actually watching <laughs> it right before I got on this call. <laughs> How have I not heard so, of this movie that everybody loves so much? It's not a movie. It's a TV show, actually. Okay. Yeah, oh, so this is so about to be like a commitment. What? You guys are about to ruin my entire weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Having me binge watch Arcane. Yeah, no, it's actually pretty good. Um, my Two of my friends actually recommended it. So I, I, I took the plunge and it's great. Kind of along in the same line, uh, I was wondering, what do you actually read for fun? Like either fiction or nonfiction, like bad faith <laughs> book club kind of stuff. <laughs> Reading, LOL. So you know what happened actually this morning? I woke up mm-hmm. and sometimes it's like, I don't know if you feel this way or if I'm just oversharing but it's like it's too quiet in my apartment I don't want to be alone with my thoughts and so sometimes I'll be like oh Brianna put on music but sometimes like I have two playlists one playlist that's like all the kind of sentimental emo songs that are making me feel feelings right now which I'm not always in the mood for sometimes the feelings can skew too melancholy and I'm like "Mm, I didn't want that this morning and then this other playlist which is my workout playlist which gets me really hype and gets my adrenaline going but if I play it too much then the songs stop working and I need them to work for my workout. I need them to, you know, get my adrenal gland going for my workout. So I said, what am I going to do? Then I'm like, I'll put it on a podcast. I listen to a lot of podcasts. 
But sometimes that gets me wired up and stressed out because John Favreau saying something to me that's pissing me off or, you know, whatever is happening where I feel like, oh, this is too, this is important stuff. Let me write down whoever, whatever this guest that Katie's talking to right now is saying. So I remember to follow up. Da, 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 da. I was like, I can't handle a podcast. And I was like, what am I going to do? I just want to sit here quietly drinking my coffee and consuming content, but I don't want to be at my computer and I don't want to be looking at Twitter and all of these things are making me anxious. And then I had like a cartoon light bulb go up go over my head and I was like, I could read a book. <laughs> It truly took me like a solid seven minutes of reasoning and turning on all of these devices and then turning them off and saying, this isn't hitting, this isn't hitting, before I decided to read a book. What did I decide to read? I went over to my shelf of unread items and I was browsing for some, I really preferred to read fiction, but I basically read all of the fiction that I had on my shelf. And then I saw Slouching Toward Bethlehem, um, Joan Didion, and she's obviously just passed away. And at some point Mm -hmm. I bought a bunch of Joan Didion books because I'd never read them. I know what that point was. It was 2016. How do I know? Because there was a bookmark in the book of a Pret-a-Manger special that expired in October of 2016. (laughs) I was using the last time I tried to read this book and obviously stopped on like page 25 or where the bookmark was. So I started reading that this morning. So far, so good. (laughs) Okay. Well, okay. That's a good suggestion. (laughs) But you don't like read any type of fiction though? I I love to, but like when is that supposed to happen? Uh, you know, I, I was reading, I'm, it's a funny that you said thriller cause I'm looking at my shelf and there's a copy of Carrie sitting there wedged between the Fountainhead and marry me by John Updike. <laughs> um, it, the thing is like, I, I haven't been reading much. I don't, you know, when I want to relax, I watch television cause I want to turn my brain off and I, you yeah. know. I think there's um, been I, diminishing returns for me on television just recently. It doesn't get, it doesn't hit my, um, you know, it doesn't release the dopamine in the same way it used to. I think because over COVID, I've just watched so much of it. Yeah. On the TV front, I, I have recently started watching Yellowstone, actually. So that kind of, like, at the end of COVID content, you watch mm. Yellowstone. People <laughs> like it. I, I guess I have to watch it because it was the subject of last night's talk, too, with uh, Trevor and Leslie, but I hadn't seen it. I have, gotcha. by the way, I just started this week binging um, The Sopranos, which I've never seen. Nice. <laughs> it's still yeah, pretty good. I don't know if you heard about this show called The Sopranos, but uh, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, pretty yeah. good. I think I've heard of it. It's like very niche show, very small following. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, well, are you, you so much. But wait a minute, oh, yeah, Jason. Are yeah. you reading something? Is there some fiction that you would recommend to me? Um. So, so. If you so if you're into like long form literary fiction, I'm currently reading uh, Jonathan Franzen's Crossroad. Uh, it's actually pretty Crossroad. good. Crossroads, Wait. yeah. No, no, I haven't read. Is this is that new? Yeah, it's new. It came out last year, 2021. Okay. I think he okay. wrote Freedom and the Corrections. Yeah. So that's sort of his. Oeuvre. No, I read Corrections and um, in, in I think high school, and then I read Freedom whenever that came out. Yeah, I read Freedom when it came out, and then I recently read Corrections in sort of preparation for this Crossroads. And Crossroads Corrections is actually was my favorite. Good. Yeah, no, I, I, love, really, I liked really liked that. Corrections. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely a good sort of like interesting. I don't know. Sometimes when I read fiction of that time, it's like, wow, like this actually used to happen. <laughs> <laughs> what actually used to? Happen? How old are you? Oh, I'm 28. <laughs> God. I have, I've discovered in my life, like, I'm just now feeling, 
like a generational difference. I mean, you're not that much younger than me, but not that what much. we've lived through is significantly different at this point, just because of the way technology has shifted. Yeah. Yeah. And I find myself really relating to like young Gen Xers now more than I ever thought I would. <laughs> Cause like you guys, like we didn't get, I literally didn't have a smartphone. iPhones came out my senior year of college. You know, that's a right. fundamentally different approach to one's youth than that's what you guys true. had. And I was just like on a date, like laughing about like cassette tapes with somebody. Yeah. And well, what's funny like, this is, is who we are now. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because because I did my high schooling in India, mm. I felt like I also too felt like a little bit of a delay before the mm-hmm. iPhone came out. Mm-hmm. So you know, even sometimes like me and my friends will talk about like how because back then we had to use credit to get on a phone, mm. and like we would talk to each other until the credit ran out, and now mm. we could just call each other on WhatsApp. So mm-hmm. even I have certain things of like, oh, back in my day, I yeah, for sure. Yeah. We didn't get, yeah, that, that was another thing. Cause we didn't come back to the States until 2001 and I got my first yeah. email address at that point. Okay. <laughs> and when I, I remember when I went to college, cause I, you know, so I had two years of high school here before college, oh, nice. there was, there were all these expectations that, you know, things were coming through on email, things that required deadlines and like registering and stuff. And I hadn't gotten into the habit of really checking an email daily and there was mm-hmm. there were all these opportunities that I missed out on freshman year because I didn't realize I was supposed to be looking at my email, including the results of acapella auditions that I didn't ah. realize I was getting emailed. And so I missed all these callbacks because <laughs> I didn't I just didn't check my email. Nobody cares that I was an acapella group. I'm going to let you go before I continue to embarrass myself, Jason. It's <laughs> all right. Um, just uh, if you're into like thrillers and mysteries, the one thing that I'm reading right now is called The Maid which is pretty good. Um, it's about like a neurodivergent maid who finds a body in a hotel room and hilarity oh. ensues. I'll just say that much. <laughs> is it actually like dark humor? No, it's, it's, it's more, I, I mean, I would say that it's more in the cozy fiction style, but it reads like a very good thriller. So, okay. yeah. I, so, so if I, you ever, yeah. I'm not someone who thought of herself as liking thrillers, but I read that Stephen King um, on writing book that everyone was reading a few years ago. Right, right, right. And I had never read any Stephen King before. Uh, and mm-hmm. I love that on writing book so much that it made me want to go. And that's why I have this copy of Carrie on my shelf because I said, I'm not going to I'm not gonna buy a new Stephen King book. I should really go into any thrift store, any used bookstore <laughs> and find like a million options. And I went around New York. And I couldn't find any. Like for a year, I was going into any store just browsing for Stephen King. And eventually, eventually in one thrift store, I found Carrie. And, you know, it was, uh-huh. it was his first. And it's, you know, a little basic. But he definitely, he definitely knows how to get you. Yeah. Um, it's funny. During the beginning of the pandemic, uh, his book, The Institute, got me through the first couple of weeks. But also... Yeah, the institute. It's actually really, really good. Like it's it's very it's like an epic, but it's it's very interesting. It's like these kids with psychic abilities, and they start getting snatched up, and then there's like a police officer who, well, he's like a he's like a cop who was a cop, and then now he's just a drifter, and then he goes and saves these kids, and it's very good. Uh, but along the same vein, uh, Stephen Chabosky, who wrote The Perks of Being a Wallflower, he mm-hmm. has a really great book that came out, I think, about a couple of years ago, called Imaginary Friend. If you're ever in the, it's very in the vein of King, but I would definitely give Imaginary Friend a suggestion too. Okay, I appreciate that. Part of why I stopped reading is because I felt like I was not really gratified by the books that I was choosing. And Mm -hmm. books are such a commitment that 
in this like time of life that I just felt like it, there were diminishing returns or something. But recently I've actually been thinking about reading more because when I do read, I am inclined to write more. It makes me immediately right. want to start writing. And I've been yeah. thinking a lot with um, Don't Look Up about the value of allegorical fiction. Right. And, you know, I think I talked about this on another call in, maybe it was an episode, I can't remember. But, you know, what is the lefty version of Atlas Shrugged? You know, what right. is the book that gets into the zeitgeist and it's, it provides an analogy and a blueprint, point, uh, blueprint for people to start to understand their political world without making them have to talk about politics so directly? Yeah. I, it's funny because I actually listened to your um, your calling yesterday with uh, – I forgot who everybody else was, but I remember I just saw the live room. Mm-hmm. And I, I think for me, like – the the political message is always good as a byproduct of a good story right like i feel like a good mm-hmm. story you can get away with anything and but just there aren't so many good stories out there you know and so i think sometimes when the author has an intention of having a certain type of like message that they're trying to feed into you i think that sometimes can come off in the in the writing but when the writing has a good story and then as a byproduct you get whatever messaging like that they want you to feel organically it feels more organic rather than coerced if that yeah I, it's I, I think that's in, entirely right and I I've been thinking about this a lot because you know people want me to write books and I you know could write nonfiction, but what really has always moved my spirit and what I always wanted to do as a little kid was be a novelist. Oh, kill surprise. You know, everybody, every lawyer in America wants to be <laughs> Me a novelist. Me too, right? <laughs> you know, and I, and I, sometimes I'm like, well, maybe I can, one of these people who are trying to get me to write a book, I can pitch them on, you know, you know, some kind of political fiction, but then I'm like, well, I have to come up with an actual pitch, Brianna. And it, it is, there, there's this trap of it feeling very forced because I have this idea that I, of what I would like to do, but not necessarily an organic plot line. Although I used to joke about writing a book <laughs> that I jokingly would title uh, Col- 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 Negro, like as a portmanteau of Colorado and the word Negro, because gotcha. the plot was going to be that like things had gotten so bad in a Trumpian style world that we actually got reparations. But because America is cheap, yeah. what they did was basically give us the lowest value state they could come up with, which ended up being Colorado. Colorado. Uh, Cause it's just like empty and they could like everyone, they could just, boot people out and let black people move in. And because Colorado at the time was the only state with uh, legalized marijuana, that that ended up being our reparations was the exclusive right to grow marijuana in America. (laughs) And about the social and political dynamics of this like mass exodus of white people who chose to leave, white people who chose to stay, black people who migrated, black people who didn't, new black millionaires and billionaires that are created and whether or not they act in the benefit of black people and right. everyone who's not black and white and how the what the racial dynamics of people who stayed in the state as groups other than those two were like and i thought oh we could really have fun with this but then yeah you know we've got lots of marijuana everywhere and it doesn't make it's sense. funny because you mentioned it's like a speculative fiction sort of thing there's a british show called knots and crosses mm. where it's like colonialism, but reversed, where like the African countries were the colonists and the European countries became like sort of colonial subjects. So it's sort of this weird speculative reversal. Mm, like White Man's Burden with John Travolta uh, from the 90s. Yeah, like it's weird because like it's like like the white people in the show, like they're called like, 
like their version of like the n-word is like a blanker or something so like if you say that that's like supposed to be really bad and like it shows all the kind of racial dynamics in reverse mm-hmm. um i'm mean, actually indian so it was interesting because i saw that one indian person and i was like i wonder how that person feels but there was no further development <laughs> yeah i'm i'm deeply interested i mean like when i was coming up with this idea i had a East Asian partner. And I was very <laughs> interested in the idea of like, what would happen? Like, because okay, so there has to be this whole infrastructure of, right. of like harvesting and science and pharmacology that goes into the state too. And like, are right. they going to have to hire some people who aren't black in addition to some black scientists to get this infrastructure off the ground? And what does that mean? Like, what if there is, you know, a non-black, non-white scientist who's in the mix and is there going to be mm-hmm. like a dynamic and da 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 Like, I, I, there was, there was some, there were some fun things that I wanted to do with it, but. Yeah, I would read it. Um, <laughs> I, I'll, <laughs> I'll just, I'll just leave on this one hack that I have, uh, if it helps you like sort of read faster, because this is mm-hmm. what I do. Um, so I'll do Audible. Um, and then I'll also have a physical copy or the e-reader copy. Mm. And then what I'll do is I'll put it at like two, two speed and I can go up to maybe 2.5, depending on how like fast I'm in it. And then that actually helps me get through the book a lot faster. Are you so, trying to read fiction faster? Cause I, I need to speed read when I'm doing it for like an episode. And I was like, well, I got to read this book by tomorrow. I mean, there's so many good books out there. You know what I mean? So, I mean, it helps with the Stephen King, especially when, you know, there's a lot of it that might come off as fluff or just background. So sometimes it helps to just kind of fast forward through those parts and then get to the good stuff. But I will have to say, just because you're also reading the physical copy, it helps you retain a lot more. So it doesn't feel Uh like you're listening to something and like you're listening at three times the speed. It does feel like you're reading it and your brain is just reading it faster. But that's just my hack. That tracks. When I listen to the podcast episodes, um, you know, the night before when Ben gets them to me, I... I re- I listen at two times speed, but also I know that I am not a very good editor. I'm not paying as much attention unless I'm also reading it at two times speed. So I that that tracks. Yeah. Anyway, so. Jason, I I should I'm gonna move on. I know I've been keep. I'm Absolutely, the one that's kept yeah, you no, here. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, I appreciate <laughs> Because I've been enjoying talking to you. This queue is so long. I want to be honest with you guys. I just got confirmation that I'm supposed to be at a wine bar at eight <laughs> fifteen. <A15. laughs> um. There is outdoor seating. Don't come at me. It's going to be cold, but there's heat lamps, I've been assured. And I'm not entirely sure. I like, I know that normally we go for like three hours and I'm sincerely enjoying our company and I want to go for three hours, but also we've gone for an hour and a half, which is kind of a long time. You know, I don't see other people on Colin going regularly for like an hour and a half, two hours, three hours, but I've been feeling really guilty because I have not been moving through you guys with alacrity. I know Omar is like sweating bullets. <laughs> um, so how about I take one more and I like, I don't know what to do. I, how about I do this? I'm going to take one more. We're going to shift the call in days to Mondays and Thursdays so that I don't have these conflicts anymore. And on Monday, I promise you a marathon and I might even do the joint streaming on um, YouTube again, since that was kind of popular, because I do really feel bad. So, Omar, what have you got? Unmute yourself, Omar. There you go. Hi. Am I there? You are there. Hi, Bri. Okay. So I'll try to keep it concise. Um, 
I don't know. Um, from the past couple episodes when you were talking about like student loan, student loan debt cancellation, and then the previous episode with Chris Hedges and company, like I completely mm-hmm. share your frustration in terms of like the lack of options that we're pretty much being given in terms of like electoralism or anything regarding policy. And I'm just wanting to focus on the student loan cancellation stuff because. Like when you were talking with Jordan, it seems to be kind of impossible for the left to have a, a a concise message in terms of like being able to organize any kind of direct action. I mean, like I mentioned, my main thing right now is student loan cancellation because on that episode, you guys were talking about how like 44 million Americans are kind of on the line. Mm-hmm. More than 90% of them are not paying back their student loans. For me, mm-hmm. it's like everybody's one more step from actually taking direct action and trying to push the Biden administration to get something done, right? I mean, if the time isn't now, I don't know when it's going to be because, I mean, like you mentioned, everybody has tons of student loan debt cancellation. Um, my fiance works at a, at a, it's like an engineering company, right? And engineers are really well paid and they're also already complaining. She's been telling me about their wages not being adjusting for inflation, right? Which is mm-hmm. like, you see all these really well earning people also kind of noticing like, hey, we're getting screwed out of our wages. Mm-hmm. Um, I work for uh, the Superior Court here in San Diego. I'm in California. Mm-hmm. And we just got our court budget. And it's like they're, they're adjusting the budget and reallocating funds for like for to, to adjust for the increased inflation cost. Right. But do you think there was anything allocated for the employees wages? Of course not. Right. Mm-hmm. So everybody's overworked. Everybody's calling out because of COVID. Like everybody is really overstressed. I know people are reaching out to the labor union representatives, which have really limited power. But I don't know, Brie. Like I'm, I'm just always thinking about this because I feel like maybe I'm just a stupid, like left idealist lefty thinking about what can we do. Like if people were down to go out and march for fucking the women's march for mm-hmm. Trump, I don't see how people want to be down put a day or two on the line on a weekend to go out and march for student debt cancellation, right? Lord knows I would. The way... Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. The way I whipped those sunglasses off and was like giddy and histrionic when they were filming that student debt video on the campaign that ended up going viral in a way that I didn't anticipate was a little embarrassing because I was like a high-strung lunatic because that is the energy that I exude when I'm thinking about student debt cancellation. Yeah, right? (laughs) I mean, Brie. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, oh, just to add it, right? Like, I'm I'm currently engaged, right? Like, I'm trying to plan a wedding, and oh, I'm about to pick up a second right. job, mm-hmm. you know, because it's just, like, it's so hard. It's so expensive to just make ends meet. And I was thinking, like, what's the difference between me taking out a second job and me, you know, spending the extra hours I have in my day to organize? I don't know. Like, I think, obviously, you know, when we talk about the Occupy movement, kind of March thing, that's obvious. I don't know. It's, it seems a little bit overboard to, for me, but at least half the organization that went in, into that for people actually being dedicated to being out there. And, you know, I mean, yeah. in terms of a march, I can only think about it on weekends because nobody's going to put in, nobody's going to lose a day of work to go on a march, you know what I'm saying? But if anybody yeah. else is willing to put their time on the line on the weekend or, or in the evenings during the week, I don't know. That's where I'm at. But it's like <laughs> in the hedge of the episode, people are like, oh, well, we need to do something, but whatever we do is still not going to change shit for the next 20 years. So I don't really understand what the heck they're trying to say. Yeah, no, I'm with you. 
I'm with uh, you. The yeah. student, the, the reason, okay, obviously student debt is my personal bugaboo because I have student debt. But also, mm-hmm. like, I want to be honest, like, I I could pay my student, like, I, I could, because it's been postponed for these two years now, I, you know, if they turn it back on tomorrow, I could pay it off. But you know what I mean? Sure. So, Hell no. So, like, I, 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 I have skin in this fight, but also I don't, right? But I'm still invested in it regardless. I, mm-hmm. I just, I just want to say that because, like, it's a, it's a moral issue. It's an ethical issue regardless exactly. of whether or not it affects me personally. And the reason mm-hmm. that I keep talking about it, even though I don't necessarily – I'm not necessarily as invested in it as I once was personally – it's because it's literally the thing that Biden can do. <laughs> it's literally, like to, everyone's despondent. Everybody feels like, oh, shucks, mansion, cinema, rotating villain. We're going to lose the house. All of the things. And and I understand that. Like we've lost a lot. There were some good things in the other half of Build Back Better that we're not going to get. I did two interviews today. I'll just spoil it. Monday's going to be Paula Jean Swearingen and this guy who's running against um, Jim Clyburn in um, South Carolina named Greg Dixon. And, like, I'm talking to both of them, and both interviews had to be, like, started and stopped a bunch of times because they don't have Wi-Fi access where they are. They don't have basic infrastructure. Like, they don't have all this evidence. Like, the world is shitty, mm-hmm. and I get it. However, Biden can literally cancel student debt, and I cannot believe – I cannot believe – like, if he wants to make it so that his whole campaign, his whole administration is defunct, that is him – putting himself in the position of having to answer more pointedly for student debt cancellation. Cause that is literally the thing that he's, he's orchestrated this chessboard. So there's only one thing that he can do and he's, and, and everyone's just letting him get away with it. So I agree. Like yeah. when you look at the, the women's marches, it's like these professionalized marches that are put on by organizers with the buy-in from the media and all of this stuff. And so it's going to be different when we do it, but we can do it. I, I want to see Reverend Barber I mean, I, involved. You know, I want to see the squad members involved. I want to see the squad members the, calling for a demonstration on, on the Capitol over student debt. Yeah, exactly. Like, you need to have surrogates, representatives showing up to the major cities, right? Like, to make it a big push. I mean, also, when you're talking to Jordan, I mean, if we had, like, a, a network, right, a, a left media network that can actually make the team a lot more plausible because yeah. then – some people are talking about a general strike. Other, like I don't know. For me, I, I don't see why nobody would be plan not be planning for a student loan debt cancellation march uh, um, yeah, this at the was end a of March bit or May or whatever. Frustration with um, you know, you know, I love Astra, and this is not you know, but you know, my frustration in that interview a little bit was like, okay, the the deadline got postponed, but you didn't know that was going to happen. Like the postponement exactly. happened like a few days before the episode, and it was like the end of December. And we thought it was going to be the, – the debts were going to be turned back on on January on February 1st, and it was like, what, what was the plan? <laughs> like what had been planned for us to do in January and in, in the lead-up for February? You know, like and, and what – And if all he has to do – Go ahead. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. If all he has to do is pick up a pen, like, you know, I don't think – I don't think we would need that much, that much crazy pressure or crazy processing if it's really a matter of him just issuing an executive order. So I don't know. I see it completely plausible, but I don't know. It's just, it's just frustrating sometimes. Like, I, I mean, I feel your frustration every time you're talking to these people. Trust me. I really yeah. admire Zizek too, but I always feel like he's doing a cop out somehow because there's no, there's no <laughs> solution prescription. But yeah, that's my main thing. I mean, I really have no idea why there would be no discussion of organizing a, a march against for student loan cancellation at the end of May. 
I, I don't understand. But yeah, I mean, I'm, Labor just, Day. I'm just going around in circles, to be quite honest with you. Yeah. I mean, like, maybe we'll, maybe it'll happen. Maybe we'll do it. I think that, you know, several people have mentioned the Stephen Donziger stream we did and the Julian Assange stream. Like, hopefully we can do a student debt stream and coordinate it and reach out across all the lefty things and have like a, um, a real push that hopefully can have some mainstream media breakthrough. I mean something. I'm just. I'm just really. I'm, I was thinking like, um, get surrogates out to whatever cities you guys want to do it. Organize for a big push, maybe. Put in the work. Oh, you're breaking. I'm sorry. Okay. I'd, no, I'd be down to put in the work on showing up on weekends, trying to organize or whatever. And I think this also goes back to like the being a little bit more polished, professionalized because. I can also imagine, you know, when these marches just kind of turn into like kind of self-righteous shouting mar- <laughs> matches or something. So mm-hmm. I don't know. But yeah, I'd don't love want to, to take... hear from some like working class people with student loans, too. I would like a list. I want I want a line of nurses and teachers and social workers and unemployed mm-hmm. people standing in front of a microphone one by one by one giving testimony as to how much they took out, what happened to them, how much interest they've paid. I want to hear from everybody. Exactly. And no, I mean, everybody who has a student loan, student loan for me is the second step is like right around the corner for people to take action. But thank you. Thank you so much for all you do. No, thank you, Omar. I appreciate you calling in. I'm sorry to everybody else. Um, I, I got to run. I really appreciate. Oh, Bree, can I say one more thing? Oh, one sure, you're thing. still here. <laughs> sure, Omar. I don't know if you ever want to take a break between all these serious, kind of frustrating episodes, but I was going thinking about the the dating episode you guys did. Yes. I might be coming off a little bit salty or something, but what does it say? The fact that because I've seen it more more often now than not on Twitter, where like, you know, ladies are are really taking up issue on dating broke men. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And. I don't know. I don't know what that what that Are really says about. Are you talking about the about... whole Britney Reiner thing? No, no. I, I really, I really wasn't. I, 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 it might have been, but I don't know. I've just seen all these memes. Oh no, longer dating Brockman. Blah blah blah. Twenty twenty two. And I don't know if that says anything about kind of like a return to patriarchy. If I'm trying to be a little bit explosive, <laughs> but you know, there's really an issue at the end of the day when, when, you know, you don't want to date somebody who's. I don't know. I, I don't know if, if, if it's about dating a provider kind of thing, but that's kind of where I was taking it to. But I <sighs> thought that would make for a fun dating episode in the future, if anything. But well, Look, I, I can easily do an episode on that topic because, you know, Ole and old girl Gabrielle are more than <laughs> mm-hmm. happy to come back and talk about how they're not trying to date no broke man. <laughs> exactly. But, but then what does that say about dating dynamics? gender dynamics i this is like a whole can of worms are opening on me in the last minute and it's so interesting (laughs) and like i'm so want to talk about it and like i almost want to talk about it more than i want to go on this date but i'm gonna exercise some self-control look i've been so i've been struggling to put together a male version of the of the all-female panel that we did on dating because these men are not trying to talk about their business i have (laughs) Bertrand Cooper agreed to do it, and I can't figure out who else to come on, but I'm going to redouble my efforts. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to release the dating episode. I've been wanting to un- unpaywall something. I'm going to unpaywall the dating episode, I think, over this weekend, and I'm going to use it as an opportunity to request men to come and do a male episode. If you have suggestions of good like male leftists that we should have on, it would be like nice to have one who was uh, LGBTQ. Probably me, not not LGBTQ. (laughs) Sorry, just kidding. (laughs) I think I was like probably me, but JK, not LGBTQ. 
Well, yeah, I mean, just like well, at least one to give that perspective, you know, because we had yeah, the yeah. last one. And it was useful for Kate to be like, yeah, I know you guys are saying that men ain't shit, but I date both and women ain't shit either. And I'm like, OK, thanks for that <laughs> perspective, Kate. Like, it's appreciated. Um, All right. But thank you, Omar. I'm going to work on no it. No problem. Thank you to everybody right, else. So your gyms, you're wonderful. Like the most wonderful thing you can do is keep trying. And I appreciate that you're all here and you're all engaged because you are still trying and hopeful that we can do something with this world that we live in. So I appreciate you being here on these episodes. I'll see you on Monday. Wish me luck this evening. Please stay safe. Take care of yourself. And as always, keep the faith. I was a lion in the tall grass. Wish I had a pilot in a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can holler ass and travel with portable speakers playing bars scans. Wish I had a million dollars. I wish I had a million albums. I wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like BB Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian. Late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. This well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish the help is like it's like I wish, I wish. That every time we dive in, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. That every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. That every time we love in, it feels just like this. It feels just like this. It feels Wish I had a time machine. Wish I had a better rhyming speed. Wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk.